today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We talk about the frontline workers as our healthcare heroes, and, and indeed they are. They've done some incredible things and, and put their lives at risk in many situations uh, to provide the sorts of services that we need during this pandemic. Uh, but there are others in the medical profession that are also healthcare heroes. Those are the ones that are doing the research that are, well, developing vaccines, for instance, and, and, and another different uh, set of protocols to deal with COVID and other diseases. Because let's face it, right? although we're uh, focused and probably laser focused right now on COVID-19, uh, cancer, so many other things are still ongoing, and we need that kind of research and that kind of work ongoing as well. And uh, they we- may well be characterized as the, the forgotten heroes in this whole circumstance. Uh, it's, it's a rather frustrating situation because uh, we tend to find that we learn things through these, these horrific experiences we go through, like pandemics, uh, but then we seem to forget them pretty quickly and forget the people who actually helped us get through this. There's an interesting piece that, uh, that is written by uh, uh, Dr. Brad Wouters, who is a senior scientist and executive vice president of science and research with Princess Margaret Cancer Center, uh, and uh, I wanted to bring him on to the program to talk about this, and we're so pleased to welcome Dr. Brad Wouters to the Bill Kelly Show here on CHML and uh, CFPL. Doctor, thank you so much for the time. Uh, glad you could be with us today. Hi, Bill. Uh, thanks uh, for having me. Uh, I was very, very impressed with the piece here because I think it lays out what I've heard from an awful lot of other people. I've talked to uh, folks at Princess Margaret. I've talked to some folks at Jurovinsky Hospital here in Hamilton uh, and the great work that's being done and the research that's being done. But it seems as if when we change our focus like this, a lot of the work that you and, and your staff and others like you are doing uh, seems to be forgotten or kind of pushed aside. And I don't just mean by the public. I'm talking about the people that should be and, and do fund a lot of this work. Yeah, well, you know, I, I wrote the piece because, um, you know, as you said, uh, the situations like this and with COVID have sh- shone a bright, a bright light on the importance of research and the contributions that research makes uh, to health and, and the health of Canadians now and, and in the future. And, uh, you know, it's it's been incredible to see the engagement of uh, the general public and the understanding of science. Uh, you know, most of the public understands how vaccines work they understand they even understand the mrna vaccines and you know all the incredible science that has gone on over decades and decades uh to enable the kind of breakthroughs that we've seen this year in vaccines in testing in new therapeutics and and everything that's being applied in a very rapid way uh to covid uh but what i sort of worry about is that that attention and and i think it's really important that attention will fade when COVID goes away and when, when the emergency kind of goes away. Uh, and we know that behind the, you know, this emergency are a lot of other individual emergencies, people's families who um, suffer from cancer, from neurodegenerative diseases, from heart disease, from all of the conditions that still um, plague uh, our, our uh, society and, and which we need better solutions for. And that needs attention. Well, the concern here, and I, I've been blowing this horn for the last little while, I mean, because I, I use SARS as an example. Now, I wasn't on the front lines. Uh, folks like yourself were the ones that experienced this and, and had to deal with this. Uh, but there were extensive studies done after that. Uh, you know, uh, Archie Campbell, of course, Justice Campbell, uh, released a very extensive report about what went right, what went wrong, and what we can learn from this. Uh, Dr. Body Henry, who's out in B.C. right now, of course, was in the, in the Toronto area at the time, and she had uh, a lot to say and, and written about this as well. And, and I, I got the sense, Doctor, that after about 
two or three years after that SARS epidemic, we just kind of forgot all about it. And that report sat in somebody's bottom drawer, and then this came along, and we weren't ready. And we, we have to learn from that, don't we? Absolutely. We absolutely have to learn from that. And and you're right. It's easy to get attention now and to, and to move resources where they need to go. Everyone understands the importance of research, and, it's, uh, and there's a huge amount of support out there for it at the moment. But um, the, you know, the need to prepare for the next pandemic, the need to prepare for, you know, for solutions for other diseases is constant. And um, when, the, when the attention isn't on it, um, attention fades, funding fades, and our ability to continue to be ready and, and to make new improvements uh, disappears as well. So, you know, I think what our, our challenge is, is to, is to keep attention on the importance of uh, the breakthroughs that, we're, that are being made in research, the, the need to continue to invest in, in, in preparedness, in research, um, to, so that we are ready when uh, the next crisis comes. Well, and there, there are so many fights that, that need to be fought here in, in situations like this. And, and, and as somebody who does this work, obviously you're well aware of this. I mean, we can talk about cancer, we can talk about uh, other diseases, other medical conditions that, that desperately need that kind of uh, help and that kind of assistance. And there's great work being done uh, to deal with autoimmune diseases and so many others. Scleroderma comes to mind and, and a bunch of like that. And, uh, and that takes money, that takes time, and that takes commitment. And and um, and. That's, it's, it's a slow-moving process at the best of times, I guess, doctor. But all of a sudden, when all of us, our, our attention is shifted towards one uh, catastrophic situation like a pandemic, uh, how does that impact those, the, the research in those other areas? Well, well, that's exactly right. You know, and if you look at the, you know, the, uh, the developments and research that have enabled uh, our progress in COVID, most of those occurred because of investments decades ago. You know, understanding RNA, understanding lipid particles, people working in areas unrelated to virus that made discoveries and, uh, and breakthroughs that have enabled uh, this kind of work uh, this year. And it, it, it goes to the importance of this continued investment in research and discovery uh, so that we have these tools available when we need them. And I think at the moment, you know, the, their, uh, the, the attention on COVID, well, while it's uh, highly justified, of course, um, it does, you know, create a bit of a um, deficit, perhaps, on, on attention towards other diseases, and particularly those that have been um, impacted by COVID. You know, we had a shutdown in research this year. We had a lot of clinical trials that got stopped because our hospitals were full and still are full. And so there's been, if anything, you know, some um, slowdown in some of the progress that continues to, that we need to make in, in all of these other important areas. And the other thing I'd say is that, it, you know, it's important to uh, engage the general public on this. We've seen the value of that in, around COVID, but, um, you know, there's a responsibility, I think, for science, too. Um, and that's also something I talked about in the article. We need to communicate with the general public around the importance of this. We need to tell these stories. And I think the press and your show and other Newspaper articles have done a, a lot this year uh, to help engage the public, and I, I think we need to continue to find ways to do that, to show, uh, the, show general society the, the value of research and, and what it brings to everyone.
Well, maybe the best example of that, Doctor, is, is the vaccines themselves. Uh, you know, when we, we started dealing with this, well, 12 months ago, more than 12 months ago now, uh, you know, we were told, well, we're working on this, but, you know, it takes four, five, six years to develop a vaccine sometimes, uh, maybe sometimes never. I mean, they're still working on an AIDS vaccine. They thought they had it a few years ago, and it, it, it didn't work out. So they said, you know, we, we can't give you a timeline. Well, here we are less than a year away, and we've got vaccines. But it, to your point, uh, the researchers that were involved in that didn't start with a blank sheet. The work that had been done previous to that was really the foundation for that, wasn't it? A hundred percent. Yeah, that's exactly why uh, we have vaccines today. You know, it's it's an extraordinary achievement. We're we're all, of course, um, you know, would like to have more vaccines today. We'd like to, every Canadian to be able to get one in in, in a few months, and and there's lots of discussion around that. But I, we can't overlook the fact that within a year, you know, we have four approved vaccines that are extremely effective, and it's. <laughs> You know, I don't think you would have bet anyone would have taken that bet a year ago that that would be the case. So this has been an extraordinary achievement, but it's built on decades and decades of research into viruses. You know, we understood coronaviruses. We understood the structure of the of the protein that is used to enter cells. That's why we could choose a good vaccine to begin with. Um, you, it, we had developed the the cell lines that that are needed to make these vaccines. We had developed the lipid nanoparticles that were needed to do so. So it was all built on, you know, decades and decades of fundamental research. And then, you know, the commitment by governments, by industry, by the the clinical trials, by the uh, by the doctors to go out and do this in a in an extremely expedited way uh, to get these vaccines to a point where they could be approved. And, and aside from the work that was done previously, I remember talking with one of your colleagues a few months ago about how quickly this vaccine was, or these vaccines were developed. And I said, well, what, what was the other key element? And he says, we got the money. He says, governments That's just right. opened up the vault and said, whatever it takes, you just tell us how much you need. Uh, and, yeah. and you can tell us, doctor, from your years of, of working in this field. That's not always the case. That's never the case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, is a, this is an extraordinary circumstance. You're right. There were no limitations uh, on funding. And that's why this could happen at the speed it did. Things didn't happen sequentially. They happened in parallel. Um, there were huge risks that were taken by government to buy vaccines that they didn't know were going to work, um, um, but could allow that manufacturing to start and, and, and all the, um, you know, before we had the hard evidence that from the clinical trials that these, these were going to be effective. So there was lots of risk-taking, and that risk-taking takes, takes funding. Um, but that also shows you the potential of what can happen when, when you are ready to make investments in research. We're not limited by people. We've got amazing, amazing scientists and talent in this country. Uh, we've got great resources. The potential is, is massive. And um, it really is around what kind of investment we want to make in this, uh, in this country. And uh, you know, I think COVID has been a great example of, of the kind of return on that investment that's possible. Well, you, you use an example in the piece that you wrote here that, that I think it underscores exactly what one of the challenges here is that uh, you mentioned, obviously, COVID came down, the lockdown came down, when the federal government came out with their emergency wage subsidies. Uh, none of the people in your area qualified for this. I mean, the, the money had basically shut down, uh, dried up, and the government didn't recognize the work that you people were doing in situations like this, uh, which kind of tells you that you, you're sort of working under the radar, uh, which is somewhat frustrating in a situation like that. Well, it, it was. I mean, you know, and, and we spent a lot of time to raise awareness around that, and the government did come through with a funding program to, 
to help get us through that. Um, but it's, you know, it's a reflection of actually who funds research in this country. And it's funded by a huge number of sources uh, at UHN, University Health Network, where, where I'm uh, leading the research team. We have over 900 different funders. These are health charities. They're pharmaceutical companies. They're provincial governments, federal governments, international governments, uh, over 900 different funders. And uh, and so the, the federal money is an important component of it, but it's, you know, it's only a piece of it. And it, it just goes to show sort of the, the extent of, at where we go looking for support to continue the research that, you know, we feel is really essential and important to invest in. And I think it, you know, it also suggests that there probably is a larger role for uh, governments and, and for society and for Canada, really, uh, to make those investments. We're, we are behind many other countries in the world in terms of, you know, what, what percent of our GDP we're, we're spending on research and investing in our future. And I think that's something important for us to take a hard look at right now. Well, and, and that's where, uh, well, I guess the best expression here is maybe getting the word out about this is, is so very important. Uh, because one of the things I'm concerned about, and I've talked about it numerous times on this program, is, uh, you know, the fact that the government's opened the, the, the vault and simply said, do what you need to do. And, and it, your point's well taken. They don't always do that. Uh, time passes and people tend to forget about the severity of this, et cetera. And uh, at some point, I know as, as, as sure as the sun is shining today, that some future government's going to look at the uh, at this line on a budget and say, do we really need to spend that much on it? Come on, they haven't been ahead of pandemic for five, six years, and and they're going to start cutting, and because that's, that's what happened in the past. Uh, yeah. You know, we didn't learn from SARS. We started cutting. We didn't learn. We used to have a thriving pharmaceutical industry here in this country uh, that just basically dried up because the money dried up and governments sold off some to private enterprise and things of this nature because we thought, well, come on, we really don't need all this, do we? Well, now we know. Yeah, we did. And and we yeah. can't we can't let that happen again. And uh, yeah. the only way to make that happen, and I think you make this point very well in your piece, uh, is to put pressure on the government to make sure they don't do that. And that's where the public comes in. That's exactly right. That is, you know, and that's a little bit what I tried to get across in the piece too. Is that you know our voice and our discussion should be with the public. It's the the public elect the governments. Uh, the public, you know, vote for people. And you know, we we've made our case with government. But you're right. They're always looking for what can we what can we cut this year. There's a lot of short-term thinking, um, and investment in research is an investment in the future. It's an investment. It's like putting money into your RSP. It's something you're going to need later, and uh, you know that later is sometimes when you have pandemics like this, or maybe it's when you're when you're when you get older and, and you develop a you know a neurodegenerative disease or you develop cancer. That's when you're going to rely on it, and so. You know, an investment in research is an investment in the infrastructure and future of this country. Uh, and I think it's it's the general public, it's everyone in, in society that should be um, championing the importance of doing that and electing people that that want to want to do that. Well, they've all talked the talk, haven't they, in the last 12 months, just uh, with one or two political exceptions uh that you know we have to believe the science we have to trust the science we have to follow the science and and they're saying the right thing finally uh we've we've got to maintain that attitude though and, and you know the, don't as you mentioned in the in the article uh don't drop that now just be you know when, when we finally do wrestle this virus and get control of this and flatten the curve and, and hopefully get back to some sense of normal uh we should never forget what we went through and how we got there uh and be prepared for the next time because as you and so many other experts have told us time and again again there will be a next time 
There definitely will be a next time, and, and you're right. We, we can't forget that. We need to change our ambition level a bit. The, the other thing I think we, and we've tended to do a little bit in Canada is to say, well, we can rely on someone else for that. Someone else will do the research. Uh, someone else will make the, man, the vaccines, or someone else will make, do the manufacturing. And I think we've also learned a big lesson around the need for, for Canada to invest in itself um, and to invest in research here is, is a big piece of that. Well, and that means, you know, government attitude. And, you know, people say, well, how come all the stuff's being done in Germany? Because Germany actually set out a, a scenario and put, put the pieces in place for it to, to, to flourish in, in situations like that. And, uh, it probably didn't help that their chancellor had a master's degree in chemical engineering and understood the, the value of science. Not all political leaders do. Uh, but they should lean on people that do have that knowledge and, 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 and get that advice from them. You know, Tony Fauci's a folk hero right now. Well, let's not forget what Tony Fauci keeps saying. You've got to believe in the science and and we have to drill that into the politicians as well yeah yeah that's that's absolutely right it's a culture it's it's not something if you know the countries that, that sort of look like they're doing well this year isn't because of decisions they made this year it's because of longer term investments in in basic research and in supporting you know uh, new new technologies and new industries that, that that feed directly out of that research it's decades and decades in the making and uh you know i think we this is a wake-up call, I think, a little bit for us, is that we want to be part of that future, and it, it creates, uh, it, it requires us to set a little bit different ambition level for what's possible here. Very timely piece, Doctor. I, I, I'm, I'm so glad that you had some time to talk to us about this, because we need to, to, to bring this to the public attention, and uh, we need to, by extension, have them put the pressure on politicians and our federal and provincial leaders to maintain the, the kind of support that they have given science for the last 12 months. Please stay well and uh, continue good luck with the great work that you and your staff are doing. I'm so glad we could talk today. Well, thanks for having me on, and, uh, and thanks for bringing attention to this. I appreciate it. Okay, take care, Doctor. Dr. Brad Waters, of course, uh, from Princess Margaret Center in uh, Toronto. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.